must want to get going. You stop talking and, and everything. I was just sort of waiting and hanging out. Let's pray together. Father, we do invite you to this place. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for your word, and we just ask that you would inhabit it, that you would plant it deeply in our hearts and encourage our hearts. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, and it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it was the winter of despair. Sometimes our familiarity with the story of Jesus' birth and all that was happening minimizes the story. We think of, we, we miss the fact that this is an explosive combustive time in history. Babies were born and angels were singing and rejoicing. Babies were being murdered and angels warning and directing. People were despairing. It was dark, a dark time. Joseph and Mary's plans and expectations were dashed. Angels were announcing peace and forgiveness, joy. And Joseph, God whispered to him, I'm in control of this crazy thing that's happening. You can trust me. There was terror. And there was death. And there were people being courageous and acting and believing God and taking action. People were fearing for their lives and running away. There was a corrupt government. There was oppression and terror. There was an evil despot. There was a merciful king. God with us. Coming to save and to serve. In Galatians 4, 4 to 7, it says this, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of, of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through the gracious act of God. These are extraordinary times that we are, we're looking at in these days. That word fullness, in, in the fullness of time, it, it literally means it's come to fruition. It's ready to pick. It's perfect. The perfect timing of God touching our lives. 
This time was an intrusion. It was an invasion. It was a break into history. It was violent. Those strong men was being bound in the, like a flash bomb um, invasion. This is a rescue mission. Hostages being taken back. A reclaiming of lost people and lost territory. And you know what? It's amazing because that rescue mission and hostage taking continues on today. I've been taken, I've been pulled out of that. You have too. And the power of that invasion and this, this amazing act in history is still working today. Isn't that amazing? In the middle of those dark times, those depressing days, the worst of days, this light shone that's affected all of mankind. The Lord shouts out, fear not. Take courage. I've ordered this. My word is totally reliable. You can trust me. I love you. That's what he said in those dark days. And that's what he says in these dark days. Same message. Same Jesus. Same power of God working in people's lives. I'm really excited to be able to share this evening and tomorrow morning um, and hope I communicate well what's on my heart. I was writing uh, Lex's uh, text. He's on his way to New York to be with his grandbabies. And, and I, I, Lex is just a good friend, and I was just writing him a quick text. How many of you like um, autocorrect on, on phones? Have you had any problems with autocorrect? I... Uh, to me, it's almost funny. It's hilarious because I try and do it so fast and a lot of times I don't check. But I was writing to Lex and I just said, have fun with your babies. Give everybody hugs and kisses. And I just ha- I usually don't send it. I happen to look down on the screen and, it, and I said, give everybody bugs and misses. <laughs> and I said, that's not quite what I wanted to communicate. So I hope I communicate well tonight. We're going to be looking together at God's extraordinary purpose for mankind, the bigger picture. We're going to paint this big, broad brushstroke. And then we're going to narrow it down a little bit and look at God's extraordinary man, Joseph. He's one of my heroes, and we don't have much about him, but to see his heart and, and who he is and how he handled he and Mary's life circumstances just as an encouragement to me. And then we're going to look at God's extraordinary plan, how that's rushed down through the ages and affected millions of people over the course of time and will until the Lord Jesus comes back. And we're going to do that in 30 minutes. God's extraordinary purpose. Um, Let's look together in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be, I'm going to be popping into three different areas in Matthew and one in Proverbs as we go on this evening. So 
Rather than just read it, read it and read it again, I'll just take it verse by verse and we'll, we'll just hit it that way. Matthew 1, verse 18. <clears throat> now, now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Let's just stop there. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah. That's, not, that's just not a, a nice little statement. This has been the focal point of history for the nation of Israel for as long as they had the written word of God and prophets prophesying and, and even from back in Eden. Jesus the Messiah. And this is not a small statement. This is a huge statement. Jesus is the Messiah and he was the focal point of people's hopes and expectations and desires. And here he's being announced to Joseph. Now the, and to us, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to dis- disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And here in this section, too, in this announcement of the Lord Jesus, he said he gave Joseph specific instructions. You're going to name, you're going to name him Jesus, which means Savior. Because why? He's going to save his people from their sins. That's a, that's a, a hope-for thing and a radical statement and an expectation. The whole nation of Israel's worship and temple worship revolved around this very issue that we, we need to be saved for our sins. And we need a sacrifice to do such. And then, and then the other name that, was, that clearly identifies the Lord Jesus as God and a fulfillment of prophecy, you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Another radical statement. That was something that was just expected and hoped for, but, but just like us, people grew weary and waiting. And, and like Chris shared last week, it, there was just a, a long expectation in hundreds of years between promises. And yet this is the fulfillment of this and the, the change in course, the change in destiny of humankind. And Joseph is right in the middle of it. I love this statement where it, where it talks about, <clears throat> in verse 22, it says, Now, 
All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And he gives this amazing prophecy um, from Isaiah. God's word and God's promise was not hidden in darkness. People had a, some people especially had a knowledge of what was happening and an expectation and a waiting for because they knew God's word. And these prophecies authenticated the Messiah. And God, wants, God gave them encouragement that with these prophecies about the Messiah. And he wants us to stand on those same promises. <clears throat> Christ the Messiah, Christ the Savior. Let me read in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to, 10 to 12. And this, this talks about how God wants us to personalize these promises and where prophecies fit in. Um, even to our lives today in 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. <clears throat> it says this. Now as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, us, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. God gave his promises and his prophecies in the word to be an authenticator of the Messiah, but also to give confidence that his word was true and reliable. And people trusted, uh, trusted in that. He doesn't want us to grow weary in waiting. He fulfilled these promises specifically, completely, that refer to the Lord Jesus' first coming. And you know what? There's twice as many promises that deal with his second coming. And I have an idea that he's going to fulfill everyone specifically and exactly. And he wants us to be encouraged with that. That his plan is sure and it's certain uh, and it's not based on us, thank God. Isaiah 25, 1. This is a verse I've been thinking of and meditating on for a number of years because it's just so powerful. Um, and it says, um, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name for you have worked wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. God's word is reliable and his promises are true. And this is a radical invasion into, into the course of humankind. And he doesn't want us to miss the significance of that. 
We also are born into conflict. We're born into a war zone when we come into the faith. There's a new king and a new kingdom, and there's conflict with the old one. And I wanted to take a few minutes and read a chapter, just a short chapter from the book of Revelation that I just think is just an amazing chapter because we have this expanse of this conflict from before Eden to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're included in it. We'll have, in reading this, we'll have insights as to Israel's history. We'll have insights to this warfare and Satan and the, and the Lord clashing. We'll have insight as far as our part in that. And I'll just read it without much comment, but let, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to have a different view of Christmas in Revelation chapter 12 than we probably ever thought of in terms of Advent. But this is, this is pretty cool. <clears throat> Revelations 12. I, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to comment too much because it's self, the players are self-explanatory. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and seven horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule over all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, and she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses him before God day and night And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. And when the dragon saw that He was thrown down to earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she would fly into the wilderness to her place 
where she, would, she was nourished for a time and times and a half and a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water out like a, um, like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river and the dragon poured out his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Isn't that an interesting integration of past, present, and future and time and eternity and all thrown into one chapter? But we see that God's kingdom overtaking the enemy's kingdom is a, is a conflict and it's a radical thing. And it just makes our salvation and what Jesus has done on our behalf even, even more special, I think. The second thing I want to take a, just a couple minutes on to share is God's <clears throat> extraordinary man. Um, like I mentioned, Joseph is one of my heroes. And let's look at verses 19 and 20 for, for a moment. Matthew 1. Um, 19 and 20. <clears throat> Even before Joseph knew what was happening, the bigger picture that this child was a supernatural, remarkable child, Joseph's heart for Mary and his tender heart is striking. Because he could have taken another action and had a desire to take another action altogether than he decided he was going to take. But it says um, in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus the Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, which we know means engaged. It was like a formal contract engagement. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Not an encouraging situation for an engaged couple. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. There's just even that little bit of insight to this man is, is tender to me. Because he could have been enraged and he could have been... Uh, accusatory and he we know that drill but that wasn't the the tact he was going to take even before he knew what was happening but when he had considered this behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying joseph son of david do not be afraid to take mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the holy spirit even with an angel proclaiming that, that's a pretty amazing statement. Like, whoa, how do I get, how do I understand that? What in the world are you talking about? But praise God, angels were appearing and talking, right? I, I think that would give some credibility to the, to the message, even though we know of others that might not have believed that right away. <clears throat> she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for his sables, he will save his people from their sins. 
And when Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to the son. Joseph was a compassionate man. Joseph was a merciful man. He was faith-filled. Did you notice how, I mean, he obeyed in all of these instances. He obeyed immediately without reservation. He was faithful each step of the way as they were led through this process. You know, we know that this is a fulfillment of God's prophecies, right? But they didn't know the plan. They didn't know the whole plan. They just knew one step at a time, and they tried to obey that one step at a time and trust God for the rest. Joseph is a worthy example of how we should treat others, especially people that have hurt us, possibly. In 1 Peter 1.8, it says this, For these qualities, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfuf- un- excuse me, unfruitful in the t- true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's a He's a tremendous model for us to to follow. So the last thing I would like to chat about for a few minutes is God's extraordinary plan for the ordinary day. Um, His plan is to transform people and to change us from the inside out and to make us lights in this dark time that we're living in. And he, and he wants to do that day by day to make us faithful where we're planted. That's what these guys were. You know, we read this story and we think it happened bang, bang, bang. But really, this, this area in Matthew 1 to Matthew 2 was probably over a period of four years. And they were told to to head to head to Egypt because his, he was going to be that that Herod was trying to kill the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> what? How do you? What do you do um, when angels aren't talking to you? How do you live? How do we live? God wants to develop faithfulness in us. In Matthew 1, 19 to 23, let's look there for a moment. <clears throat> let's just go to 23. He gives this pro- prophecy about the Lord, and then he, and he awoke from his sleep, and the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. He obeyed but kept her a virgin. Then jump, jump over to chapter 2, verse 13. And when, they had gone, and when they had gone, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt to remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child who, and to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while, he was, while it was still night and left for Egypt, he obeyed right away. 
And he remained there until the death of Herod. Like I said, this is probably a couple of years. Could have been up to four. This was to fill was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. This instance of taking off was a fulfillment to prophecy, and these guys weren't thinking of prophecy. They were thinking of saving their lives. But it, it shows God's plan was specific and detailed, just like it is with us. <clears throat> and then um, jump over to verse um, 19. But when Herod died, he behold. Um, when but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, "Get up, take the child and his mother, go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead." So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. And he came and lived in the city called Nazareth. This is to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And here, here we see, I think, a principle that Oswald Chambers talked about and how we live this life when the angels aren't talking to us, that we trust God and we do the next thing. And I love this picture of Joseph because when, the, when they were commanded to leave, they left. They had that word from God and they went to Judea, which is in, in southern to, uh, middle to southern Israel. And things were hot in Judea. And he, he said, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to be here. We're going to Galilee, which is up in northern Israel. And we're going we're gonna to go there. And he was flexible, and he wasn't holding on to his plans, but he was fluid, listening to God. He trusted God, but he did the next thing. And I think that's what God wants us to do, to trust him and be confident that we're on track with him, be listening to him, and be willing to do the next thing. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I think, give a great example of how we live that out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. If we are learning to call out to him every day, each step, including him in the dialogue of life, we are trusting him. We might feel a million miles from him, but if we're talking to God and we're entrusting our lives to him and asking his help step by step, we are trusting him. And this describes an ongoing dialogue with God that he wants us to have. As we learn to do that, we will not fear because he is with us. And his word is speaking to us and encouraging us. God wants us to learn. When the angels aren't talking to us. To trust him. Because he's in control and he has a plan. And his word is filled with promises to help us live our lives day by day. Isn't that right? 
In Romans 1.16, it says, the righteous man will go from one instance of faith to the next. I exercise my faith. I have a question about life and where I'm going, about God and his promises. I go from one instance of faith to the next instance of faith. God talks in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says that, that he tells us, don't grow weary in well-doing. No, he doesn't say that in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, therefore, let us not grow weary. He says, for the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed. What's the time frame? Day by day. The righteous man walking with God learns to be renewed day by day. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talks about being transformed. And how are we transformed? By one instance of glory, seeing the Lord more clearly to the next. And we need to know, know how to do that, to enter his presence and see him and be in his word and see him more clearly and go on step by step and day by day and from one instance of glory to the next. And in Psalm 84, 5 to 7, it talks about going through the difficult things in our life, the valley of tears. And it says when we do that, we lean on him and we trust him, and we go from one instance of strength to the next. This walk we have with God is a fluid, organic, it's, it's an alive walk. It's way more than having just the responsibility of being in the word. It's having a desire to be in God's presence, to walk with him through the life, knowing that he'll bring us to the end. Amen? He will bring us to the end. He promises that. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. I think the takeaway from this is pretty simple. Um, there's only one place I, I know of to, to get to know God better and to grow my confidence, and that's in his presence. And it's way more than just having a quiet time. I think it's learning how to invite him and to talk to him day by day, instance by instance, situation by situation, applying his word to our lives and standing in that place. In his presence is fullness of joy. The psalmist says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And that's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty straightforward. And yet, we have to learn that. And then the second thing is his word. How can we escape getting into his word and knowing what he says about life and life circumstances? What do we have to hold on to in the course when the winds and waves come? And they will. What do we have to hold on to except for his word? So I think the takeaway is it's the same takeaway that we talk about every Sunday almost. We need to be with the Lord. We need to be in his presence. We need to talk to him. We need to stand on his word. And you know when we do that, brothers and sisters, especially when our circumstances go contrary to what we want. Any heathen can thank the Lord when... They win the lottery and things go well, you know. But the believing people can thank the Lord and to stand on his word when things are not the way that we like because we know who's in control. 
But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Um, so we're going to transition to the table. And the table here is an ongoing celebration reminder of this radical invasion that God did into history and how that affected our lives. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're welcome to share in this table. And what we do here in the vineyard is we come and break off a piece of the bread and dip of the wine in the, into the wine, and we remember that this is his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And all that means, that's the opening of the door to this amazing relationship with God and this radical invasion. And what we're doing is we're proclaiming that we've been rescued from the enemy's hand until he comes back. That's pretty cool to celebrate, isn't it? So let's partake together uh, and enter into his presence and um, in sharing this table together, brothers and sisters. <laughs>